Welcome, everyone. How are you? Lackluster at best, guys. How are you? Yes, right. That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you are here. Glad to start a new series. To start off, I want to talk about uh, a company that I heard about in the Northeast, uh, in Massachusetts, actually. Back in 1989, two guys decided they wanted to start selling T-shirts. And so they formed this company, and they started selling T-shirts to college dorms and going door-to-door and selling their products. And things weren't going all that well. They had no idea how to run their business. And so they were thinking about closing up shop, giving it all up, and then they went home and they found this scrap of a drawing in their file cabinet, and they thought, well, maybe we should put this on a shirt and see if we can actually sell it. And so they put this on a shirt. The name of the little smiley man at the top, his name is Jake. And they put Jake and this logo that says, Life is Good, on a t-shirt, and they began to sell them. Well, before they knew it, the shirts were flying off the shelves, And now this company, this Life is Good company, has 4,500 retailers in 50 states. They have raised $1 million for children's charities in Boston. The thing has exploded. But I have to ask you the question, what is it about this little guy's face that is so compelling? What is it about this that makes this product so interesting to people? You know what I think it is? I think it's the fact that we'd like to believe, this, this idea is very compelling to us, that indeed life might be good. There's something deep within us that calls us out to say, could life in fact be good? I'd like to believe that. And I think we believe that for a good reason. And, and this whole series is about something I began reading in Old Dead Guys, which I, this is what I'd call the old spiritual writers, the, the old dead guys. And the old dead guys used to talk about transcendentals. It's just a big word that means stuff that's really good, that brings you up and out of the pain and darkness of life that we often experience. It's the stuff that makes life worth living. Things like good and beauty and truth. And so we're going to spend this whole series talking about good and beauty and truth because honestly, good and beauty and truth are the things that make jumping into the journey with God actually worth doing. So we want to handle today the idea of good. Good is what we're hoping for in every relationship and every experience. We're not living just to have the opposite of bad. We really want a deep and rich experience of the good. And why is that? Well, it's very easy because at the very beginning of everything, God created us to know what good was. In the scriptures, it says God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now, why did God say that? Did he say that because he made it? I mean, he could have said it for that reason. I made it. I say it's good. He could have said it for a lot of reasons, but the reason he said it is because things are good when they work the way they're supposed to work. Human beings operated the way they were supposed to operate. A house is not good just because it looks like the blueprint, because you could walk in and flush the toilet and the kitchen lights could come on. I mean, that's not a good house. It's not made well. A house is a house when it functions the way it's supposed to. But God also said this in the scriptures. He says, you are free, Adam and Eve, to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you certainly will die. They had the knowledge of the good. They knew what good was. But now when the fruit goes down the hatch for Eve, suddenly something else enters into the equation. And that is evil and death. And so now that's where you and I live our lives every day, trying to do this battle between good and evil, between life and death. And we're not built to do that well. We're trying to live doing things we weren't built to do. I kind of equate this to trying to drive in a nail with a screwdriver. You can do it if you want. 
But it's going to be painful, and it's going to take a lot longer than it's supposed to. I've done it before. You can, I'm, I tested this. You can actually do it, but when you have the wrong tool, the job takes a lot longer. Or, you know, if you want to think of it in different terms, it's like, well, it's like cutting a pizza with a handsaw. You know, I, it'll probably work well, but it's going to take a lot longer, and there's going to be a lot of damage. So when we live our life, we're basically living awkwardly. We're trying to discover something that we know is out there, but it's very hard to find in the midst of all the other stuff, the evil and the death and the darkness that we experience. So we start asking ourselves questions about, well, I know what the good life is. I'm pursuing the good life. That's what I'm living for. I'm living for the good life. Well, what is the good life? You get down to start defining what things we say are good, and you find the problems. Like, what's a good burger? You could take a, a, a poll of this whole room today, and you'd find everybody has a different idea of what a good burger is. You know, what's a good hockey team? Eh, forget that. We know what that is. Um, you know, what's a good marriage? A good marriage is a marriage that functions the way God built marriage to function. A bad marriage is one that doesn't function that way. Just because we think everything's fine and just because our spouse leaves us alone and lets us do what we want does not mean it's a good marriage. That's not how it was built to function. What's a good time? What's it mean for me to enjoy myself the way God built me to enjoy myself? To celebrate life rather than celebrating or partying, trying to forget about my life. Nobody talks about having a really good hangover. Have you ever noticed that? That's the best hangover I've ever had. It's because it's not good. And yet, at the same time, we, we continue to pursue things that aren't good, thinking they'll lead us to the good life, when in the end they lead us to pain and disappointment. Let me be frank with you. What's good sex? Just because it's enjoyable doesn't mean that it's functioning the way it was meant to function. Do you see where I'm going with this? There is a good life out there to be found. But if all the things we do to lead us to the good life lead us to nothing but pain or disappointment, maybe we need to rethink our plans a bit. Because everything in the Bible from Genesis forward is about God drawing people back to himself and back to functioning the way they were supposed to function from the beginning. Back to himself. Back to the good. There's another big obstacle in our way, and that obstacle is this. We're not always convinced that God is actually good. I know plenty of people in my life that I've talked to who they're just not convinced that God is actually good. There was a study at Baylor University, and 37% of Christians, now these are not people who don't believe in God, but people who actually do and claim the title as Christian for themselves. 37% of Christians said that God is judgmental and highly engaged in the affairs of humans. Like a divine judge, God is watching us closely, eager to punish us for even minor infractions. These are Christians that believe this. That God is the cosmic judge with the giant boot waiting to smash them when they do something wrong. That's an obstacle because that kind of God is not going to give us the good life. That kind of God is just going to keep us in line. And that's not what we're built for. We get this bad story of who God really is. This story that God is not on people's side. That God is temperamental and you have to keep him happy by doing the right kind of rituals. That God has this secret code and once you get the secret code right, then you get the really, really good stuff. There's a lot of problems with this. But the one biggest one is this one. That God is totally foreign to Jesus. He wouldn't even know who you're talking about if you described that God to him. Jesus would probably say, yeah, I wouldn't believe in that guy either. Because Jesus shows us who God really is with his life. 
James Smith says it this way, to know the God of Jesus is to know the truth about who God really is. Because the key to God being good is the way that Jesus introduces us to good. Jesus opens the door and says, do you want to hear the good story of God? Do you want to know who God really is? Now, I know plenty of people who love Jesus, but this God guy, yeah, I don't know about him. He's kind, of, he's kind of funky. I don't know if I want to deal with that. But with Jesus, you get healing, you get teaching. He gets a little feisty sometimes and starts making whips out of cords. And, and frankly, for most people, uh, just the idea that he turned water to wine is like selling point number one. Like, oh, I can hang out with that guy. And so we like Jesus, but God is kind of, he makes us nervous. Well, here's the problem with that. Here's what Jesus says about himself. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because what his father does, the son also does. Everything we like about Jesus is true of God. That's the story we're hearing. Everything that's good and beautiful and deep and true about Jesus is true of God because he does it because he sees his father doing it. James Smith again says, in all of his stories, Jesus describes a God who seems altogether good and is always out for our good, even if we cannot understand it. Think about it. Jesus comes and all kinds of good things come with him. There's good news that our sins don't condemn us, that we have access to life and life to the full. There's good fruit. Our lives can be different, can be changed, can be transformed. There's good teaching. No one has ever laid down a way of life that is greater or more sustaining than Jesus Christ did. I mean, if Jesus came today, he'd bring good stuff like this. He would bring us the bacon donut sandwich. Because come on, sweet, salty, eggs, it's all there. Everything you could possibly want. He brings it, the whole thing. Jesus brings this good because that is who God is. So how did we get a hold of such a bad story? Well, I think of it this way. My, my daughter and I were riding in the car one day, and we drove by this string of restaurants. And um, we drove past this Mexican-ish place, and uh, my daughter spoke up, and, and, and I don't want to in, in, insult the restaurant, so let me just say um, the name rhymes with Paco Hotel. And so we drove by this, this restaurant, and, and my daughter pipes up from the back seat, and she says, you can't eat there, Daddy. And I said, well, why not? And she said, because you'll throw up. <laughs> I said, okay. I'm like, you're five. You've never eaten there. Where's... I said, Bailey, where, where is this coming from? And she goes, Mommy told me. I said, oh... Now I get it, because her mom has always had a bias against the Paco Hotel. I have no idea why. It's cheap, it's fast, it's delicious. What else do you possibly want from this world? So at some point or another, my, my daughter and I are going to have to have this moment of retraining where we kind of go, and I'm like, look, this is good. There's an, I'm going to tell you a new story about the Paco Hotel, and it actually could be good for you, and there's this thing called a Mexi-Mouth that will change your entire life. Her brain has to get changed. The story has to shift for her, and that's exactly what Jesus does with his life. He comes and he says, you have all heard a bad story about who God is. And at the beginning of his ministry, he says this, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That word repent doesn't mean feel like a horrible person. Repent means think about your thinking and change your story, change what you believe. Be convinced that now things can be different. There is a new story. We need that today. We need a new story of God. We need the true story of God, the good God that Jesus shows us with his life. So how does he do that? Well, he does that by using, he does a lot of pictures in his teaching, but one that really stands out to me 
is the teaching about a shepherd. Now, shepherds, you know, kind of know what a shepherd is. They're guys who hang out with sheep. That's, you know, the basic uh, point of it. They hang around with sheep. They keep them in line. They give them what they need. But, but in the Bible, the word shepherd actually is the word where we get the word pastor from. So pastors are basically shepherds. You may have heard that concept before. They're walking around making sure that the sheep survive and grow and thrive and are actually healthy. The other thing that's very clear in the Bible is that God was the greatest shepherd. The Bible lays out God as the greatest shepherd. And maybe you've heard this passage before describing him. It's in Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a description of God as the greatest shepherd. So later on when Jesus is teaching, he picks up on this, this idea of the shepherd, and he's talking to a group of people in John 10, and listen to what he says. He says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. So Jesus basically grabs that language and says, listen, God is the greatest shepherd and people are sheep. No offense, but we are. And people are sheep and I am here to make sure that the sheep have life. And that last line in that passage is so powerful where he says that they may have life and life to the full. The language there is actually life in excess. I want them to be drunk on life. I want them to be intoxicated with the good life. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a really good thing. And frankly, my life this is just from my heart to you. My life and my ministry is set up. I want to be the bartender of the good life. I want to be the one who's serving people the goodness of God over and over again until they are overcome and intoxicated with it. Because my heart breaks for the fact that there are a lot of people who never see following Jesus as more than just showing up someplace on the weekend. And I'm not coming down on you. I'm just saying 98% of the good stuff is still out there. There's so much more to it than just having a new weekend gig. There is peace and patience and joy and freedom from anxiety and anger and fear. 98% of the good stuff about Jesus doesn't happen in a church. It happens in our hearts and in our lives. So I want to be the bartender of the good life, serving people the goodness of God on every front. And I want to be able to tell the good story that is summed up this way. In Jesus, we have access to the unlimited goodness of God. Everything that's good about God is our for the taking because of Jesus. And when we live that way, when we hang around with the shepherd, interesting things begin to happen. Now, there's video evidence that when sheep hang around with a shepherd too long, especially one who has a problem with screaming, uh, something happens to them and they begin to look at, they begin to look a little too much like him. So I just thought I'd bring that and let you take a look for yourselves. Yeah. 
So what you get when sheep hang around with the shepherd too long, they start screaming. So how is it then, if Jesus is the good shepherd, and if God is a good God, and there is a good story to be known, how does Jesus lead us into that good story? Well, there, there are some things that he does specifically. First thing is, he provides for us. Jesus, as the good shepherd, provides for us. Now, this isn't always what we need, but it's always what we want. And his teaching in Matthew 6, this is what Jesus says. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need the essential things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For each day, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you ever notice sheep don't worry Sheep don't have to take antacids. They don't develop ulcers. Do you know why that is? Because they trust the shepherd. They just eat and sleep and grow sweaters. That's their job. They're not worried. There's no anxiety in sheep because they know that the shepherd will take care of them. And so when Jesus says, listen, if you come and put your heart and your mind behind the kingdom and the righteousness of God, we'll take care of everything else. How different would our lives look? Honestly, if we stopped having so much anxiety about the things that really and truthfully are out of our control anyway, if we simply trusted that God is the good shepherd, we could live a life without fear, without anxiety, without worry. How would you work if you lived your life without anxiety? How would you work if you lived your life without fear? How would you give of your resources if you lived your life knowing the shepherd would provide for every day? Today you will have what you need, tomorrow the same. How would you use your time? He goes back here to Psalm 23 and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. When do sheep lay down in green pastures? If you've seen sheep, they'll eat until everything's gone. So they're looking for more green grass, right? But this psalm seems to say that they lay down in the middle of uneaten grass in green pastures. Why would they do that? Because they're full, that's why. They've had enough. They're satisfied. What would life look like for you and I to live satisfied? To know that God has taken care of everything we could possibly ever need. Now, I know some of you are like, okay, fine. You, this is pretty church talk, but listen, I'm not seeing that in my life. Oh, there's a couple things we have to think about before we get into that. And the first thing is this, is that God's good is good for everybody. God's good is going to be good for everybody. So just because it's good for you does not mean it's good for the rest of the world. God is seeing all things in the big picture. So maybe if our frustration is that God is not providing, maybe the problem isn't that God isn't providing. It's just that we've got a bad definition of what we actually need. I'm teaching my daughter to ride a bike. Oh, my gosh. You want to talk about a labor of love. <laughs> But we, so we go out and we practice on the driveway a little bit, and she'll ride around a little bit, and then she just gives up. She's like, ah, oh, you know, I've fallen too many times. I'm going to do something else. I'm like, no, you've got to stick with this. You've got to practice it. And as parents, we have these moments. You could take out bicycle and put in driving or put in anything. We have these moments where we're like, if you would just stick with it. And the reason it's so hard for her is because all she can see is the present moment and the falls and the difficulty and the challenges. But for me, I see the vision of how good it could be when she could do it by herself. When she can ride down the street with her hair flying by, well, safely with a helmet and at slower speeds. When she's riding down the streets, enjoying herself, loving every second of riding the bike. I see how good that could be. She can't see that. 
but I'm casting a vision. If you would just practice for a little bit, good things can come. And that's what God is doing with us. Listen, you think this is what you need, but if you could just hang on with me for just a moment, you'll see that it could be much better than you could ever imagine. And that's where some of Jesus's teachings go. And that's why they seem so strange to us, because we can't see how good they could be. For example, one of the ones that I hear people have the most trouble with is Jesus's teaching on loving our enemies. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, a lot of people hear that and go, you know what I think would be good for my enemies? If they got taken out, if they got called to jury duty, they got food poisoning, that'd be good for my enemies. I'm going to pray for that, for my enemies. But here's Jesus saying, listen, love your enemies. Well, why would I want to do that? That hurts. That's painful. I can't control my enemies if I love them, if I forgive them. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand how good it could be. And what's happened to us is we have lost the fact that how good it could be to live our life without enemies. Could you imagine? Most of us don't know how to do life without having some enemies. So this is kind of incomprehensible to us. But the reality is that God is good because God loves our enemies. So you want to know what the good life is? Here's where it begins. Think about how good your life could be if there was no one in your life who wanted to see you drop dead. Think about how awesome that could be. Jesus isn't just making up weird rules. He's pitching us a vision of what life could be like. So the good shepherd provides for us, but the good shepherd also protects us. He says in the passage that the sheep will go in and out and they will find pasture. Do you notice that sheep don't worry about threats? They don't worry about wolves. They don't worry about any of that stuff because there is a shepherd who is protecting them. And Jesus, as the shepherd, shows people where they can find life. Listen to what it says. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now this isn't a, listen, you better find that right path or else you better make up your mind and do the right. It's an invitation. All of Jesus' teachings are an invitation to say, hey, there is a road that leads to life. That's really good news. Let me show you how to take that. Let me protect you from yourself a little bit and put you on the right path so you don't kill yourself trying to find the good life. Here's where it is. Here's the road. Take this path. This is your invitation. The reason that's so important is because statistics say 90% of the atrocities that happen in our world happen because of human choice. So while we can get mad at God that there's all this evil and that people do bad things, we need to refocus ourselves on the idea that people do bad things. And why do they do that? Because they don't know that there's a path that actually leads to life. That there is the possibility of good in the present day. So if we want to see evil decrease and good increase, perhaps we should start chasing Jesus instead of focusing on the darkness. It's important to see this too in the psalm. It says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, if you've heard the psalm before, you're familiar with this. So I just want to talk about it for a minute. So this, it's pretty common, right? If you've seen a Christmas program, you know what this is. Now, this is plastic, so it's not, you know, we, we imported this. Um, this is a shepherd's crook. Now, in the passage when it says, your staff comforts me, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about this with the hook. But it also says something about a rod, which is this. 
Now, this is a very odd-looking implement, and I first got introduced to this when I was in Kenya. We were out on safari, you know, in the middle of hungry lions, and the guys who were leading our trip didn't have rifles or anything, because really, who would want to do that? Uh, in the middle of a jungle of hungry lions, you know, uh, they had these laying in between the seats. And I said, so what's this? And they said, oh, well, if a lion gets too close or too aggressive, you just bop him between the eyes and he'll leave you alone. <laughs> and I said, how do you know? Who's tried this and actually lived to tell about it? There is no range to this weapon. You could smell the thing's breath before you hit him in the face. The description in the psalm, in Psalm 23, is of these two things. Your rod and your staff comfort me. The rod is to keep the lions away, the predators, the things that would come to kill and steal and destroy. This is what the shepherd is doing. He's protecting us from being attacked, from evil. But then at the same time, the staff comforts because the staff keeps us from doing stupid stuff. The staff grabs the sheep and pulls him back. This is, from keeping, this is to keep other things from killing us. This is to keep us from killing ourselves. This is a good comfort, don't you think? That there is a God who both protects and protects. Because the thought is, and I've said this before and other people have said it, but I did some research, sheep are not stupid. That's the common misconception that sheep are stupid. Sheep are not stupid. Sheep are just helpless. So a sheep will get into a spot like in between two rocks and then they'll go, well, this is awful. Um, well, I'll just wait here. And literally sheep will wait in between the rocks until they starve and die. They are paralyzed by their helplessness. And that's why you see so many pictures of shepherds carrying sheep up over their shoulders. Literally, the sheep are like, I can't move. I am paralyzed. And the, sheep, the shepherd's like, come here. Come on. This is all going to be good. How many times in our lives are you and I paralyzed, helpless, stuck? And the good shepherd comes and he brings the crook and he says, come on. Come on. It's all going to be good. The good story is that the shepherd protects us, and not just here and now, but in the life to come. So this is, this is the problem that we run into, is that we see our life as what happens between birth and when our ticker stops ticking, but God sees our life between birth and eternity. And so he says, I'll be your good shepherd, it just may not be while you're alive in this flesh. I will take care of you. Paul says it this way, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Being citizens of heaven, we know we can live fearlessly knowing that death is not the end. And trusting the good shepherd means knowing that death is not the end. And so the good shepherd provides for us, he protects us, and lastly, he partners with us. Because the question still remains, what does a good God do with all the evil that's in the world? What does a good God do with all the darkness? And Jesus answers that in this passage. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. God deals with evil by sending Jesus. And Jesus steps into the middle of the darkness, into the middle of the muck and the brokenness and the mire and he walks and lives and dies 
to solve the last enemy that humanity has ever faced, which is death, which is evil. Paul illustrates this so well, and I love the way the message puts it. He says that Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself, that he had to cling to the advantage of of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, and he took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus took the evil and the sin and the pain that separates us from the good life and he nailed it to the cross so that you and I, if we followed him, could have the one thing that encourages us, that gets us beyond, that draws us out of the darkness so that we could have hope. And as Dallas Willard says, hope is the anticipation of the good. Hope is that place where we know no matter how dark things get, no matter how dark the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because He is with us. His rod and staff comforts us and He brings us out. The thing that makes us hurt and ache, the thing that makes life function awkwardly does not get to win. This is the good story of God. The broken place you're in, the paralysis of helplessness that you're in does not get to win. It does not have to stand forever. There is a shepherd who says, come on, come with me. Let's walk to life, shall we? And Jesus chooses this. Listen to what he says. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. One of the interesting things about shepherds is shepherds never lead their sheep from behind. All that does is scare the sheep. And if you've never seen scared sheep, it's like buckshot. They just go everywhere. But if he wants to keep them in a herd, if he wants to keep them together, the shepherd goes out front and he leads from the front. So that means that any danger, he goes into it first. Any darkness, he goes into it first. Any trouble, he goes into it first. And Jesus did just that for us. He was the good shepherd. He laid down his life. And not not that that was easy. Listen to what he says about it. He says, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, he's talking about the crucifixion, unless I drink it, may your will be done. How much trust did Jesus have to have in this good God that even if I go through the worst death imaginable, everything is going to be fine on the other side? And if that's the case, how can you and I face our helplessness our brokenness, our situation of darkness and pain and evil, knowing it's all okay on the other side. We will be taken care of. How would the way we live look if we trusted God to be good even when it looked like it was going to hurt? When we don't get what we want, when things don't work out the way we'd expect to know we'll be okay no matter what, how much healthier would we be if we weren't dominated by fear and anxiety and worry and anger? How much good could come in our lives. This is what the good God wants for us. So as we think about the good shepherd, we need to reflect a bit. And so we're going to spend some time here in the service reflecting on this idea. And I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. Probably your, your teachers or your parents or someone you know asked you to do this at one point in your life, but to do a very simple exercise. And that very simple exercise is this, to count your blessings. Count your blessings It's very simple. You take a piece of paper, you take the notes section of your phone, whatever it is, and you just look at your life and say, where is good happening? Because the reality is, if good is happening 
It's like a little postcard from Eden saying, wish you were here. Every good thing that's happening is a little signal. It's a little flicker. It's a flare from God saying, do you want to know that there's more of this there? Because when we begin to see the good in our life, we begin to see where God is active, where God is actually there. So you don't even have to be a believer in Jesus to do this, to count your blessings. And you may come around to find that God has been working in your life longer than you could possibly ever imagine. There was a a man in the 1930s and 40s, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and a theologian in Germany. He was a pastor and he was a spy, which I think is pretty cool. I I wouldn't mind that. I get little gadgets and stuff, special cars, you know, tuxedos. But he was a spy because in the period in which he lived, they were battling against the Nazi regime, which most of us could agree is probably the worst period of evil in the history of the world. And he was a spy trying to take over and overthrow Hitler. And in the middle of his plots, in the middle of the process, he got caught. And when he was caught, he was sentenced to a concentration camp. And in this concentration camp where it appeared that everything he had done that was good for God had backfired on him, where it appeared that he was going to have nothing but pain and sorrow the rest of his days, he knew the sentence was death, he knew he would be executed, and he was later on. In the midst of that, one Christmas morning, he wrote a prayer that he shared with his fellow inmates. And I wanted to share that with you today as a way of focusing us on this is what it looks like in everyday real life for the good shepherd, for God to be good, to provide and to protect and to partner with. This is what Bonhoeffer prayed. He said, Oh God, early in the morning I cry to you. Help me to pray and to concentrate my thoughts on you. I cannot do this alone. In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Restore me to liberty and enable me to live now that I may answer before you and before me. Lord, whatever this day may bring, your name be praised. Yeah, we're going to prepare to take communion together. And I don't know, I never do, where you're at with this whole good God thing. Maybe you don't believe God is good, and I understand that. There, there are days when I struggle with it. And maybe just the idea of counting your blessings, you're like, that's ah, too simple. That's for kids. And Jesus said if you don't become like children, you're going to miss the kingdom. So maybe there's something to that. So I don't know about any of that, but what I do know about is story. The great thing about the Bible is the Bible's filled with good stories. And this week I, I got to hear a couple good stories. Well, a couple stories as they are. There's one couple that I was in, involved with and um, got to perform their wedding ceremony and, and watch them, you know, make their vows and they wrote their own. And it was, you see the glow in their eyes and the sort of giddiness that comes with this, this new project they were involved with. And this week I got a I got a call from them, and uh, things aren't going so well. Uh, they're not really sure this thing's going to last, and so I told them I said, "You have to know that there's something good that can come. That good is possible. That the good shepherd will lead you through. It's going to be painful in the meantime, but the good shepherd's going to lead you through." So there's that story. And then there's a story from last night 
where two of my good friends, Dan and Jordan, decided they were going to take the plunge. And they knew that it was going to happen, but they just, they, as Beyonce said, they put a ring on it, and, um, which was wise. But I see in them, I see that same energy and that same hope and that same glow, that sort of silly glow that comes over a newly engaged couple. I see that in them. But the thing for them that I know is good is they're going into this knowing the good shepherd is leading us through this. And it's not always going to be easy and it's not always going to be what we want, but it's going to be good. It's going to be so good. And that gives me hope. So as we celebrate communion, the the meaning of these two elements, this juice and this bread, this body and this blood, is to tell us a new story. That death doesn't get to win. That resurrection is real. That hope is real. That truth is real. And beauty is real. And goodness is, is real. They're things that we can grab onto even when things are dark. And when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we can brush off evil. So as we take these elements together, would you reflect on that? Where is the place the Good Shepherd is leading you through today? And do you trust Him to be good even in the midst of that? When the trays come across, there are two cups, one inside the other. Take both of them and hold them. Uh, We'll take communion together. You don't have to be a part of Parkview. If you're a believer in Jesus, we welcome you to take communion with us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this meal. Thank you for the blessing of being able to share these things together. And thank you that death does not get to win. Darkness does not get to win. Evil does not get to win. You win. And if we follow you, we will find out exactly what that feels like both now and in the age to come. So let us eat and celebrate the good that is your death and your resurrection. It's in your name we pray. Amen.